Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. Man, what a celebration. Um, Hey, we're going to be in uh, James 5 today. Uh, We're taking a little bit of a uh, a detour uh, today uh, for a few reasons. One, we've got, uh, uh, we finished up the month of Saturate um, a prayer. Uh, many of you got in your inboxes every morning a, um, a prayer guide, uh, a prayer prompt for the day. Uh, we've been joining with churches all across our city and community as we've been praying for God to move in our, in our community, in our lives, uh, in the lives of our neighborhoods. Uh, many of you in journey groups Uh, have done prayer walks in different parts of our city over the month of February. Uh, And then with today, with the events of what's been happening over the last week, I think it was, uh, and even within our church, it's just a time for us to refocus um, and to come around and uh, and to engage God together uh, in prayer. So we're going to be looking at James chapter 5, and uh, I want to share just a few words with you uh, from that passage. Um, And uh, as we go through this, this is just something for us to kind of, I, I would say, join around our thoughts in unity. Um, I think prayer is one of those things where uh, everybody talks about it. Many of us uh, don't feel like we're doing it right. You know, oftentimes uh, uh, some of us uh, are scared to pray out loud or we don't know what to say, or maybe you've ever tried to, uh, to pray personally in, the quiet, uh, in a quiet place. Maybe you've gotten up early or something of that nature and you find your mind wandering or uh, you don't know how it happened, but after a few minutes, you found yourself looking at Facebook and uh, you were like, I don't know how I got here, God. I'm really sorry. (laughs) You know, uh, there's so many things, uh, so many distractions, so many different things that draw us away from the simplicity of just talking to God and engaging with God. And sometimes with all the things that are going on, uh, it can become very overwhelming. And uh, God has given us some simple things to, to draw us back to him. And so I want us to draw us back to that today. Um, and I think what drew me to James chapter 5 was one sentence in James chapter 5, verse 13. I'll throw it up here for you. Uh, just says, if any, is anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Now, we could probably just stop there because all of you could probably raise your hand if I, could, if I did a survey and I said, hey, are you in trouble? There's probably a, an area in your life where you could say, yeah, that's me. Like, I'm in trouble uh, in this area. Or maybe you've got a, a family member that's in trouble. You know, you've got a relationship that's in trouble. You've uh, got uh, financial trouble. You've got um, just with anxiety, maybe you're battling depression. You've got trouble. Uh, you're wondering about your future and where you're headed. You've got trouble. Um, all of us at some point in our life um, have that. And th- this, I want you to know right out, out of the gate, if you're new to church and you're new uh, to Christianity and you're just getting exposed to this thing, um, I, there might be the perception that this is just a group of people that just like to stick their head in the sand and act like, well, everything's just kind of, uh, you know, everything's great. You know, everything's going to be great all the time. Um, I want you to know that's not true. All right. Uh, and hopefully you'll see that as we go through this passage today. Some of you may look at uh, church and you wish it was that way. You wish it was one of those things where everything was great all the time and you wish you could stick your head in the sand. Uh, but that is not the reality as we live in this overlap of what God wants to usher in with his kingdom and where we actually live. There, there, you know, Jesus said in this life, you will have trouble. He promised it, which, uh, you know, everybody says claim the promises of God, right? <laughs> 
nobody's buying that plaque at Lifeway, right? Uh, nobody's going to Hobby Lobby and said, well, Jesus' promise that I'm claiming is he said, I promise in this life you're going to have some trouble. But that's exactly what he said. He said, if this happened to me, don't bet that it won't happen to you. And so I want you to know that uh, you're amongst a group of people that are intellectually honest and spiritually honest, that life is not always uh, just a tranquil ride into the sunset. Sometimes there's tumultuous times. Sometimes there's things that uh, offer us twists and turns. But that's not new to us. Um, and we are not unique in that. And you are not unique. And if you've ever felt like you've had to come into church and you've had to pretend that you're okay when you're not, then hopefully today we'll be able to allow you the opportunity to take off not your, you know, your medical mask, but your proverbial mask, uh, to be able to come before the Lord and come in a group of people and be honest. The reason I can say that is because when James arrives at this point in James chapter five, he's already said a lot of things. Um, and, and the letter of James in the New Testament, James is the brother of Jesus, okay? So he had a, a close personal view of this guy, uh, Jesus, and all of his claims. And he watched Jesus. Um, and uh, if you can imagine, I always like to say this, if you can imagine what it would take for your brother to convince you that he's God, okay? Uh, imagine being Jesus' brother. Um, scripture testimony, you know, testifies to the fact that, you know, he didn't just wake up with 12-year-old Jesus and say, okay, well, I guess you're God. Um, he had to be convinced. And, and my personal belief, this is not written in Scripture. I'm just telling you my opinion. I, I think that what he saw in Jesus is he saw what convinced him to actually confess him as Lord was he watched him suffer. He watched it. Uh, he watched him go to the cross and he felt what it felt like to see his brother die. And he lived with that for three days with no expectation and no belief, no faith that he would ever come back. And if you can kind of get into that mindset for a second of what would it take, what would it feel like um, then on the third day to be convinced to see your resurrected brother come back to life? Well, you would have to deduce that there's something special about this guy, right? And so to me, one of the things that uh, if you want to talk about apologetics, sometimes we talk about that in church. I mean, I, I can go right to James and I can say, well, if he believed, I can believe. But suffering, I think, trained him. Suffering trained him. And um, it trained him to give him a lens by which he understood what it was like to follow Jesus because he watched Jesus die. But it wasn't just unique to him. As a matter of fact, if you look back at verse 1 of James, he calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls himself his brother's servant. Now, that's a miracle in and of itself. But he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations... So this is not just his personal life. I mean, this was the reality of everybody he knew. Um, he was writing this to a, a group of believers that have been scattered. Uh, and in case you think that that was a planned vacation where they got online and booked an Airbnb, um, or they went and tried to survey Priceline and get the best hotel rate, or they tried to get airfare somewhere, what drove them to be scattered was persecution. Persecution and difficulty, the suffering that they experienced was what made them leave the comforts of where they were and go to where God ultimately was going to take the, through the dark places and he was going to grow from those dark places some unbelievable things. The word scattered is, a word we, is the same word we get the word diaspora from. Them. It just means to be uh, uh, casting seed about. And I love that correlation because uh, I think what... 
what James is going to try to get to in here in a second is he's going to say, when you're where you are and you're going through what you're going through, when the seed gets planted, though it's going to lay beneath the surface for a while, there's going to be a day when it's going to break the surface. And out of the difficulty and the seed, as a matter of fact, what Jesus calls his own death, he says that I went in and I was not a perishable seed, but an imperishable one. He goes into the, into the ground and it, through his death, springs life. And this had formed, I think, James's understanding of what faith is, that faith is death and life. It's crucifixion as it's resurrection. And I think that our faith has to embrace those two things. And so if you're going through trouble, if you're in trouble, James will tell them, tell them he'll say, then you should pray. And it's funny, isn't it? Because um, Christians, uh, it's not just Christians that do this. I, I mean, Christians certainly do this. But um, you have non-Christians, uh, people that have probably no faith uh, in a higher power, you would say, or if, if they do, maybe it's a loose uh, belief in some kind of force or, or whatever, and um, people go through that process and come to different conclusions about, you know, how the world works and such, but you'll go on news outlets today, you'll hear movie stars and uh, celebrities even, uh, you'll, you'll hear football coaches after a game, and they'll talk about praying, and you're like, well, I mean, what do you, what do you really think about that? There's something in us when we go through trouble that is hardwired to pray. But what James is going to illuminate to us is it's not just saying a bunch of words. It's not just saying, okay, well, I, they, put, they posted something on Instagram, so I guess I better pray. But it's actually engaging in the presence of God with an expectation, taking an action, and with that anticipation, expecting God to move. I don't know if you realize it or not, but what you just saying was the story of prayer. You, you sang about Moses, you sang about Jacob, you sang about Mary. And just as Jesus' experience and James' experience were exposed uh, or experienced through trouble, each one of those characters experienced that. And so their relationship with God was predicated on death and suffering and a resurrection in life. But it takes a certain attitude. And so James wants us to know that if you're going to enter into the story then you're going to have to take a specific attitude. And I want to hit this real quick in verse 2, James chapter 1. He says, you have to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. You know, if, you, if you've been to church for very long, you've probably uh, heard this verse. I mean, I, I've heard this a bunch in the last, uh, you know, in ministry for 30 years. I mean, I've probably preached this pretty frequently. Um, it's probably one of those staples you go back to because it relates, right? I mean, this is where we are. But I think it's important to, to really look at a few key words in it because I think they recalibrate our minds. And the first word I want us to look at is that first word up there when it says, consider it pure joy. This is a posture and an attitude of how we approach the trouble. So by the time we get to John chapter 5, and he, he makes the insinuation or the suggestion, if you're in trouble, pray, he's already done a lot of groundwork. And the first part of the groundwork is he said that, you know, if you're scattered among the nations, if you're out there because of persecution, if you're going through trouble, then you're going to have to uh, take an assessment. You're going to have to assess the situation in order to produce the right attitude. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I mean, attitudes they pop up without a lot of uh, 
a lot of prompting. Uh, there's nothing like trouble to actually reveal where you really are, you know? So trouble actually reveals as much as it does shape. It, it, it's a diagnostic. If you're one of those people that uh, you look at the gauges on your car, hopefully you are this and you see the warning light come on, you know, it, it's there to signify trouble, right? Now, most of us these days, we, we don't know what it is. And uh, it's not like the old cars where, you know, it would pop up and you could go in there and mess with the carburetor. Now you got to go take it to somebody that's got a computer and can read it, you know, and, and tell you, okay, well, we've, we've done this. And maybe it takes them five times and you $5,000 uh, to figure it out. But we know when there's trouble, there's got to be an assessment made, right? None of us, when our car starts to break down, we just say, well, I guess that's just the way it is. Because you need the car to go somewhere. And so what do you do? You, you assess the situation. And so what James is saying here, don't miss it. What he's saying when he says, consider it all joy, well, some of your translations may say, count it all joy. I like count better because count is a lot more intentional. Count says I'm looking at it and I'm making an active decision how I'm going to react to it. Because the tendency of all of us, once again, is for our attitudes to pop up, for our emotions to pop up. And though emotions are God-given and God uh, wants us to use those and they, they're part of who we are, we are not to be controlled by them. We sang that just a few minutes ago, I will not be formed by feelings, I will hold fast to what is true. And so for us as believers and for the first believers, James would say to them, hey brothers and sisters, when you're going through some things, you're going to have to count some things. And counting means that you're adding things up, right? Here's what happens when you're going through something. It seems like it's the one and only thing. It seems like it's the biggest thing, you know? But it doesn't take very long if you start to count. You're able to pop back up and you're able to see all the good things and not just the bad thing. And that's a part of the dynamic of what it means to be the Christian life. It means to go through the process of counting situations pure joy. And so what does John do? I mean, uh, James do? He, he gives us the way for us to do that. He, he actually says that whenever, which is that inevitability factor, right? You, when, whenever, uh, it's not even just one time, whenever you go through, you get out of one, you go through another, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because there's a lot of different kinds of trouble and your trouble, though it's maybe not as bad as what someone's going through maybe in Ukraine, but it's important to you and it's important to God. But because you know something, how do you count? Well, you count because there's something you know. You hold fast to what's true and the thing that you know that is true is that the process of testing and trying your faith is actually gonna produce something. Well, the first thing it's going to do, he'll say, is it's going to produce perseverance. Um, perseverance, the only way to shape perseverance is through difficulty. Uh, a lot of you on your jobs, you know this. A lot of you, um, if you've ever played a sport, you know this. If you've ever tried to learn a musical instrument, all these people up here, there was a point in, the, in time where some of you tried to do this and you bailed out, <laughs> right? And you look at it like, well, I could never do that, right? And past talent and gifting, there is a perseverance that someone had the tenacity, the grit, to stay there long enough, to go through the difficulty, to get to the other side, because they knew this. They knew that if they would persevere through something, that the perseverance would produce something. And I think there's a lost art 
Uh, I'll say this um, in us today. We want things so fast. We want things to our way. We want, we're such a consumeristic, individualistic, narcissistic group of people that we want everything where we want it, how we want it, when we want it. And God is just completely honest with us. And James picks up on the theme and he says, life is not like that. And so if you've ever thought that, I want to invite you to Christianity that says that's not true, that it's going to take perseverance, it's going to take going through things because you know something that if you'll go through it, it'll actually produce something in you. And we know enough to know from other scripture, we know enough to know from places like Ephesians 5, we know enough from uh, things from Ephesians 4, we know enough things from 1 Peter chapter 2, we know what all these people went through, that when they went through things, they went through things so that it would, per, it would produce something in them. But not just something in them, but it would actually produce something through them. There's a part in uh, Acts chapter 11, um, and uh, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to reference it off the top of my head, so I may get it wrong, but it's somewhere in the middle of Acts chapter 11. And if you follow the story of Acts, it talks about how the beginnings of the church and how the church exploded and all those kind of things. But there was a turning point in the church, the life of the church, because at the beginning, the church was just in Jerusalem, right? Where Pentecost happened after the resurrection, Jesus comes out and he, then he ascends and the Holy Spirit comes down and they go out and they preach the gospel, all different kinds of languages. And there in Jerusalem was the hub. And it was primarily a Jewish, Jewish movement at that point. But it took something to catapult all these Jewish uh, people, Jewish uh, background people out of their comfort zone. I mean, if, if God's moving, you want to stay where God's moving. And so they wanted to do that. They were forming these relationships. It was exciting. And then the persecution came, the trouble came. And when the trouble came, it, it thrust them out. And interestingly, in an interesting way, that this was the very way that they actually began to experience what Jesus had promised and that we always like to post on our mission days is Acts, Acts 1.8, that you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. They didn't know that that command wasn't just going to be, wasn't just going to be booking uh, mission trips, that that was actually going to ha be as a result of them being pushed out. And in Acts chapter 11, you get the, the story that that actually moved them beyond just a Jewish movement to become a worldwide movement. Uh, it was the first time that it had gotten, gotten out past Jerusalem and just this Jewish group of individuals. And the thing that started that whole thing, the, the pebble that hit the water that started the ripples that have reached us today, it started with a death. And not just Jesus' death, but the death of Stephen, one of the deacons of the early church. And when he died, there was an outbreak of persecution that went way beyond just one individual. And it took till Acts chapter 11 to start to see this is how God's going to work. God is going to work through the death of a, what we would call and designate as a martyr today to bring about the salvation because many seeds would be scattered. But here's the thing is all the people that involved, were involved in that had to count on something. They had to consider some things. And they had to know some things that though Jesus had begun something, the gospel writers would later say that he who began a good work in you will complete it. But that takes perseverance. And so as they went out um, from there and what they experienced, not just through them, but in them was that they were becoming mature. They were becoming mature. 
Because God's desire for them, as it says there in the passage, is that they would be complete, not lacking in anything. Um, sometimes we feel like God is hiding things from us, like God doesn't want the best for us. But here's what you can know about this God is through all the difficulty and the trouble that what he actually wants for you is for you to become mature. He wants you to grow. He wants you to experience what it means to actually be complete. And you can't ever know what it means to be complete until you go through loss. You can't, you can't really feel completeness until you have the things that you trusted and removed from you so that you can actually trust in him. And this takes an attitude, doesn't it? This takes intentionality. This is not accidental or incidental. This is something that God says you're going to have to choose to do. And he works it into it. But with that attitude, it's not just a power of positive thinking, right? He tells you to actually take an act on it. He, and the way that you take action is simply to do one simple thing, and that's ask God. And he relates it in verse 5 to lacking wisdom. He says, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God, and who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We, we, we live in an age, I think, that it, it's really hard to be honest that you don't know something. Um, the, you know, if you, if you go, I'm, I'm, I'm not harping on social media, but this is a good example. I think everybody is an expert on social media. It used to be you had to have some kind of degree to be, uh, uh, to be that. Now all you have to have is a phone, you know, if, to be an expert. Um, and everybody's an expert. Everybody's got inside information. And it's gotten to the point where um, you've you got to know what you believe about some things and what do you believe on this issue. I mean, you know, we need to recapture again the, the essence of knowing, like being able to say, well, I, I, this is all I know. I don't know that, you know, in humility. And so there's this, there's this angst in us to be able to say, well, we know. But perseverance, the attitude actually produces an honesty that I don't know. An honesty with ourselves an honesty with each other and an honesty before God. And, and to say to God, who doesn't find fault in anybody, that says, I don't know what to do. Matter of fact, that's what he welcomes. Uh, I, I think of the time when Jesus uh, says, let the little children come to me in the simplicity of the faith of saying, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I want to go to the one who knows. And so he says, if any of you, you lack wisdom, then you just go to God and he will give you generously because he is a good father. And he will give it to you and he will not find fault in you for not knowing the answer. And it will build dependence and it will build perseverance and it will build maturity in you. It will bring you to a point of completeness. And it's a little bit paradoxical, isn't it? That completeness comes from being honest about emptiness. It, it, it's actually being honest that I don't have in order so that God can be all that I do have. And in doing so, what does God do? He begins to build our strength. And when you build that type of strength through honesty, then what he says is that that's when you begin to receive the humility and honesty that it takes to confess, I don't know, and I need your help. I need you right now, God put you in a position to actually hear the voice of God above your own voice, the voice of your peers, uh, the voice of the pundits or the voices of maybe even those that love you, to hear the actual voice of God. And it produces faith in us, which is exactly what, 
what James says in the very next, the follow-up statement. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord since a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Uh, I would say that probably the hardest thing about Christianity, uh, and there's a lot of hard things about it following Christ, I think one of them is not being double-minded. Um, I think this is where it starts. I think to actually be singularly minded and to actually say, okay, this is what I, who I believe God to be, and this is what I'm going to embrace about God, or, and, and having the complete confidence that when I follow him, that he's going to actually guide me, you know? Because what happens in my life oftentimes is I, I can say that. I mean, I can preach a sermon. I'm doing it right now. I mean, but the test of my faith is not me being able to deliver a message about this. It's actually be able to live in the reality and the truth of this. It's to say, you know, how do I become singularly minded? How do I not doubt? How do I ask and not doubt? How, how does that happen? How does God begin to build that in me? Well, what I have found that the only way that that happens is through the exact same process that James is outlining. And, and, and you see this work, right? You see where God comes, he's faithful then, and so he's faithful now. He, he answers a prayer then, and so I can count that. I can put that in the bank. I can put it in there as a deposit. And when I'm confused, I can recount. I can bring it back out. And I can say, yeah, but he walked me through that. 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 I, I lost someone here. Uh, I let someone down here. Uh, I was confused over here. I was lost over here. And in each one of those instances, through perseverance, God came through. And so what we're counting on, it's, it's, a, it's, it's such a funny part of the process because the process is the thing that produces the perseverance, isn't it? Like you can't have one without the other. And so there's this intricate web of going through the process of actually walking with God through trouble and engaging with God and asking him so that you have the material, the, the deposits in the account so that when the next trouble comes, whenever the trial comes, that you're ready because you saw him work in the past. And so the beauty of that is it's kind of like what we do with our kids. You open a bank account. And there's not a lot of money going into that account, right? Because some of you are here like, well, I'm 40. Where do I start? Well, you start with what you got. And you start with where you are. And you trust them with what you have. And we open these bank accounts for the kids and we start to put a little money in, right? Allow them to put a little bit of money in. And it starts really small. But over time, they get a little older and they're putting in a little bit more. And they look back and they're able to now retrieve something that was deposited. And oftentimes it's not even something they deposited. You know what I mean, right? Something that you put in there for them. But there's a point in time when they can take that out and it becomes something tangible, right? And so the beauty of this is, is that if you're, if you're 40 or you're 50 or you're 60 or you're 25 or you're a college student, wherever you are, the beauty of it is you can start making deposits right now. You don't have to be a day trader. You don't have to be an investor. You don't have to be a financial whiz in the economy of God. You can just say, God, this is my trouble and I need your wisdom and I need it right now. And you can begin to deposit in so that you have something to count and you can be, you can be confident. It's a lot better than that uh, guarantee that you get at the bank, you know, that there's a government entity that's gonna guarantee 
a certain amount of what you deposited if, if something happens that you're going to get that money back. We, we've, got, we've got an eternal guarantee in our Father. And he is the same God then as he is now. And you can begin to deposit, right? But if you don't, here's what's at stake. You'll continue to be unstable in all you do. See, James is, I love him so he's practical. He's so honest. I mean, uh, the book of James is, was so practical. I think it was Martin Luther that said that he didn't even think it should be in the Bible because it was too, it was too practical, you know. Uh, but it's practical because at the end of the day, faith is practical. This is where we live. But what we've been focusing on, what James has been focusing on here is you. But he also wants you to expand your view. He wants us to expand our view is that this is not just about you which is a message for the, the Western church, I think, and all of us. And so he prompts them, though they were going through trouble, to not go through trouble alone. And he says that part of engagement is understanding that there are others around you that are in trouble. And God wants us not just to be individuals going through trouble, but he wants us corporately as a family to go through troubles together and in doing so, to come out the other side and engage with one another. So it's not just about asking for ourselves. He goes on to say, it's about interceding for another. Go on to the next slide real quick. He says, if any of you, anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Now, We've all had people that have been sick in our life, and many of you have probably gone through a period where you've prayed for someone and they didn't get well. And I heard a preacher say this once, and it's always stuck with me because I want to be honest about this, that not every time you pray, it's not a formula, okay? Um, despite what some money I tell you, you can't send some money in and get a hanky and, and just wave it over somebody and everything's going to go out. There's, this is not a magic wand. And a lot of us have enough faith to pray for what we want to happen, but very few of us, the preacher said, was that we don't have enough of faith to see what happened. We, we pray with faith to get what we want to get, but we don't have enough, pray, enough faith to actually receive what we got. And part of the equation of faith is the dilemma of sometimes things don't turn out the, the way that we thought, and you got to come out the other side. And as you come out the other side, you begin to realize that that's God building perseverance in us too. And that God's not finished. He's not finished. And so he says that, hey, listen, when you see someone else that's sick, don't leave them alone. You lean in. You come together. The church rallies around this. And we intercede for one another. One of the things that we knew going into February uh, this year is that the church... We needed to grow in the area of prayer. And so we were talking to Ben and Carol Morgan. Uh, I think Kevin and Lisa Lawrence as well and some others have been joining together on Wednesday nights faithfully for a couple of years. And you didn't even know this, many of you, but on Wednesday nights and they would come up here when there was nobody else in the building and they would get in a room and they would pray for you. And they would pray for our church and pray for our community, um, pray for some of the needs that have come in through uh, prayer requests and things like that. But going into this year, we realized that, man, through, through everything that everyone's going through is that for the church to be a community, to be a true community, that this has to be operational in the church. And this takes breaking down barriers and breaking down walls and being honest and wanting to engage and wanting to engage with God and engage with others. But we went into this February and said we want to create a prayer team, people that say, I want to stand in the gap 
for other people. And so we put that out at the beginning of February. Some of you have uh, seen that in your inbox. We've talked about it on Sunday morning. Um, some of you have jumped at the chance to do that. Others are probably kind of like, I don't know what that is. But here, let me just tell you what we're, what's about to happen is we're about to have a prayer a space open uh, on Sunday mornings, pre-service prayer from 8 to 9 o'clock. And then we're forming a prayer team that can pray for you and intercede for needs following every service uh, on a Sunday morning. And that's the way for the body to care for one another, to intercede for one another. So every Sunday, you should be able to come into a place and have someone, if you're in trouble, you should be able to ask someone to pray for you. And someone should be there to pray for you. And the church picks up that mantle. But in order for that to take place, there's got to be people, quite honestly, that are going to say, I'm going to be the one to stand in the gap. And it's going to take more than four people to do that. And it takes, in order for that to happen, seeing church a different way, it sees, it sees that this is not a natural movement, that this is a supernatural movement, and we've got to re-embrace the concept that the church is a supernatural, be, uh, supernatural organism, and we're engaging on a cosmic level for the things that we see down here on, on the, the ground level. And, and so if you want to be a part of that, this is my little plug, you can go on our website and there's a place you can click a button and say, hey, I can do that one time a month or I can do that four times a month or somewhere in between. Um, I want to be a part of that because I want, to, I want to go before the gates of heaven. I want to go before the throne of God on behalf of people and I want to engage with God and I want to be there so that when someone's in trouble, we can help them. And he says, this is the way we, this is the way we do this. We we intercede. But that's not all, okay? James also wants to remind them that part of this is that there are sicknesses that are deeper than physical illness. There are spiritual sickness. There's spiritual toxicity. There's, uh, there's contaminants in us. We often call it one little word, three little word. We call it sin. But it is all those things. And he wants to give us the means by which we're continually cleansing ourselves before God. Now, we know that we have a once and final cleansing uh, eternally before God through the person of Jesus Christ. But relationally speaking, the, the ongoing nature of our relationship necessitates, it requires that we're honest about where we really are, where we really fail, and we confess to one another when we mess up, and we confess to God exactly what's true. And that's what, that's what James says in this next little section. He says this, if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. That's the horizontal aspect. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. He says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. Uh, there's nothing like praying with people to bring people together, right? There's something about going before God that levels the playing field horizontally before God when we're actually honest, again, not just about the fact that we're struggling or that, the fact that we've actually messed up and we say that out loud because what the enemy loves to do is he loves to keep people quiet. He loves when you're in shame to hold that in. Uh, he wants you to not say anything because it promises freedom, but all it actually ever produces is a prison. When we're not honest about our sin to ourselves, we're not honest about our sin with another, we're not honest with God about where we've broken and where we've fallen, it actually forms a prison around us and it keeps God's movement in our lives, what he hopes to produce through us at bay. It, it shackles us with shame. 
And that's what James wants them to know. He says that when you're, in, when you're suffering, when you're in trouble, don't forget to intercede, but also don't forget to confess. And all confess means is to say the same thing. And here's what we do around here. At the end of the day, it's not about your opinion or my opinion. We want to say the same thing God says. Confession is just, I'm going to say the same thing God says. I'm going to say the same thing that he says about what I did. And so I'm going to agree with God when I have fallen short. I'm going to agree with God that I've sinned and that I'm going to take him up on his promise that his righteousness is my righteousness. Because some of us see that and say, well, the, the fervent prayer of a righteous person affects months. And you're just like, well, I'm not good, but that's not a biblical view of righteousness. See, your righteousness is not about how good you are. Your righteousness is about the one that was righteous on your behalf. As a matter of fact, Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says that he became sin who knew no sin so that you become the righteousness of God, that you stand clean before God right now. So that means that you can go clean before God and you can confess because you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, he promises us that when we come and we confess that he is faithful and just to forgive and so the question for many of us is like, why are we not engaging with God on this level? Why are, we, why are we not doing that? Well, maybe it's busyness, it's distraction, it's just priorities, whatever it is. But I think the call is simple for each of us as individuals. And hopefully if you walk out of here with anything today, the, the, the call for us as a group of people that would, would gather on any given Sunday is simply say like, oh, we need you. We need you. We need you to rescue us. We need you to be present with us. And God promises that he will do something in a group of people that do that. And I think there's something hidden in it, as a matter of fact. Um, it's just kind of something tucked away, and I was reading last night, and it just kind of hit me, okay? But at the end of that call, and at the very first thing that we mentioned in, in, in James chapter 5, I don't know why that's doing that, sorry. Uh, in James chapter 5, where it says, uh, if any of you is in trouble, let, him, or let, let them pray. Do you see the next sentence? I didn't read it in the beginning, but if you, if you follow it out, it actually says, if anyone is happy, if you can throw that up there, go back to James chapter five, I think it's verse 13. No, not that one. That's second Chronicles, yeah. If I'm reading correct. No, there it is, right there. It says, if, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is that catch anyone off guard? Because this is sound like either you're in trouble or you're happy, right? Does anybody live in the, in the gray area in between? Does anybody ever go within five minutes from I'm in trouble to happy? I, I mean, maybe I'm the only one. And I think what's connected here to me, and, and this is just me, this is just me, is I think what this points to is something that happens in us when we realize that happiness is not tied to our circumstance. I think that prayer and praise are intricately connected and that the happiness that he's actually talking about, if it's going to be true happiness, if, if, if he's going to actually do what he says, if you, we're actually able to do what he says in John chapter one, uh, James chapter one, verse two, is to count it all joy, then we have to locate and position our happiness and our joy on something that's not based on our circumstances because that's just where the trouble is. And if you've been keeping up with the events, as uh, we've, we've kind of focused on this this morning in Ukraine, I, I was scrolling through Twitter, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and I saw this little video. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it up 
here for you, if we can play that. I don't know if anybody saw that. Anybody see that earlier this week? Yeah, a few of us. That's uh, Ukrainian Christians in a subway terminal singing praise to God. And think about that dynamic. They're below ground, and above them is terror, fear, and trouble. But they have joined together underground, and they're continuing to sing songs of praise before God. And if you think about that, it makes sense, right? Because, because praise engages us on a cosmic level with reality. When we sing songs on a, on a Sunday morning or you sing songs in your car or you sing in the shower, <laughs> I know some of you do that, at the top of your lungs or through a whisper or through tears, you're declaring what's true. And so praise and prayer actually, I would say they're, two sides of the same coin. They're not separate things that you only praise when you're happy and you only pray when you're sad, but they go together and they oscillate back and forth and they build one another. Your prayer builds your praise and your praise builds your prayer because as you're going through trouble, it's going to take both, isn't it? To build the perseverance so that as the per- perseverance can have its full and complete work so that you'll be fully mature, lacking nothing, so you can confess, so you can intercede. And those two things bounce back and forth in our life. And I think that that's God's call to us today is to simply come back before him in the simplicity of saying, God, we need you. We need, we need you as individuals. We need you to guide us. We need you to direct us. We need your wisdom. And in doing so, God promises that he'll be there. So we should not doubt. He promises that if you're empty, he's full. He promises that if you're sleeping, he's awake. He promises you if you're weak, he's strong. He promises you if you're confused, he's wisdom. And so today, I just want us to end the service with that. I want to ask you to engage with him in prayer. For some of you, you might not know where to start. Just be honest with him about where you are. Just be honest with him about where you are and, and ask him if he'll help you. And if you need someone to pray for you, um, I'm sure we've got some people in here that uh, if, if you come to the front and you kneel, um, there are believers that would come up here and lay their hand on you. You don't have to say a word, just know that you have somebody praying for you. And you can come kneel at the front and you can spend some time talking to God. If you wanna grab somebody, you can do that, whatever you wanna do. But let's just spend about uh, three or four minutes here at the end of the service, and let's just, uh, let's just try to live out what James instructed the believers to do then, and he instructs us to do now. I want to start us out. Go ahead and bow your head, if you will. Father, we're so grateful today for the fact that you are um, the God who is always awake. You never sleep and you never slumber. You watch over us. We thank you that you are never weak, but you are always strong. We thank, that you're, we thank you that you're never caught off guard and you're never confused. And so we come to you today, Lord Jesus, and we ask God for you to use um, trouble in our lives 
And the trouble for the people that all across the globe right now, the one thing that we can say we all have in common is everybody's got some level of trouble. And so you've given us a way to enter into the goodness of your will for our lives. And so we choose to do that today, forming us an attitude, help us to have the power to take action. Um, help us, Lord, to not just see ourselves and help us to be honest about where we are so that we can see your movement of your spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name.